Welcome to another episode of See You at Yours, and it's brought to you by Dawson's Music Belfast. Dawson's is my favourite music shop in Belfast. It is wall-to-wall gear, electric guitars, acoustic guitars, keyboards, digital pianos, pro audio equipment, drums, PA, you name it, they have it. And why I like this shop is it's a local shop with very friendly and extremely experienced staff made up of musicians and tech experts who are willing to help you out no matter what level you're at, but it's still under the umbrella of the Dawson's chain and that means that their prices are as competitive as you'll see anywhere locally or online. They're very well situated right at the bottom of Royal Avenue in Belfast City Centre, so whether you're a budden, starting musician or a pro, you just shout in there, you'll get what you need. They're a friendly, quality service and they've got fantastic products. So thank you to Dawson's Belfast for helping out with this show. Um, I would not be endorsing them if I didn't think they were class, so go check them out. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of See You at Yours with myself, Matt McGinn. I hope you're all well. It's lovely to have your company, and especially lovely to have the company this week of Kieran Lavery, uh, an excellent songwriter from County Armagh, who really in this last few years has been going from strength to strength, uh, racking up millions of plays on Spotify. Um, he's been traveling the world, touring, doing some incredible gigs. He's actually doing a UK tour early next year, 2020, so make sure and check him out. In fact, he's doing a headline gig in the Shepherd's Bush Empire in London which is incredible altogether for a young fellow from Armagh to be doing that. That's, you know, it says a lot. Fair play to you, Kieran. We had a lovely conversation. He really is a very well-read fella. He, we talked about um, books, cinema, you know, Brexit, I think maybe even popped up, uh, of course, but how could it not? We basically put the world to right over a few cups of tea in his gaff, and um, it was great. Thanks, Kieran, for having me up. And while I'm here, I may as well drop in the fact that, that my own album, Lessons of War, is uh, due for release in 2020. Uh, I am taking pre-orders for them now on the website, so go on there and order it if you wish. The first single, Bubblegum, uh, I really can't get over the, the response to it. It's been quite incredible. I'm getting messages from people every day about how it's resonating with them and, and hitting home. And as a songwriter, that's all really you want, you know. You want your songs to really just uh, connect with people. And it seems to be happening with that song, sung beautifully by Keir O'Neill. And thanks to all the DJs who've, who've played it so many times, uh, both uh, north and south, and even across the water in BBC Six. It's, um, yeah, it's quite overwhelming, and um, with a bit of luck it'll set us up for a nice 2020. So thank you to everybody who's uh, who's shared or, or spread the word. Yep, keep listening, keep listening to the podcast of another couple of cracking episodes coming up. Um, so like and subscribe, and we realised there was maybe going to be a slight issue with uh, playing some of Kieran's songs on the podcast this week and the last thing we really wanted was to get sued so um kieran has very kindly sung some saxophone classics uh, a cappella there's a little bit of curlis whisper in there uh, baker street of course has to be done and uh, a little tina turner classic also so hope you enjoy that as usual um i do like to sort of capture the uh, the conversation as soon as we start so it sounds a little bit rough first on the dictaphone while i get set up with the uh, the proper mics but um, bear with it, it does settle in to a nice close mate quality conversation. So put the feet up, relax, and enjoy. See you at yours.
we're in um, Blue Americans, two boys from Belfast. Right. Uh, they play, well, play a wee bit of live stuff as well, but uh, they, they mostly have the studio for their own thing. And uh, I then uh, we just started kind of, because <coughs> a lot of the time I was talking about this idea, talking to Chris about it, but I didn't have any music. Uh-huh. I just had maybe an idea of the lyrics, so they were happy enough just running off that. And, uh, and so we just sort of started building the songs up from that sort of point. So like even the first track, all they had was the... And then we just did that and I just sang the vocal over it. And just then they worked out the guitars with whatever the, the vocal, like this, the key was in there. So then they just kind of found it and that was it. And we just sort of went. We didn't go with any intention of write this as an album. It was just to see if we can get these. Here we go. <laughs> You didn't really plan to make an album with those no. boys or anything, it was just... It was just happened to, I just wanted, wanted to get things down on paper and then and then I just at that point I was like, maybe I'll try to get a few in the songs and there was a couple that I'd sort of written anyway that were sitting and then it wasn't until I started putting them all together then that I sort of thought, right, well, this sort of documents a certain time, so I just them all. And then, and then towards maybe the three-quarter point, then there's a real push of the, the landscape started to sort of form a wee bit, so it was the, the idea then of finishing it as an album. So we came in and then that's when we went into proper studio, right, let's sit down, and then I went and wrote whatever I could write, either a piano or a guitar, and I brought it in to play, or did play an instrument on it, because I didn't want to. It's because if I, if I start playing on it, it's going to sound like what I normally do, so, yeah. so I let them voice it. And they're all happy enough. So I was grand. So it was just all sort of vibing, like it was just you sort of uh, trust, not, not just pretty getting much a nice bit of trust with them from the start yeah. and then sort of letting them go with it. Exactly. Well, I was always kind of there in the room with them as well, so anything that we were building was kind of done together. But it's the first time I've, I've sort of been involved in anything that was a bit more inclusive I guess rather than me arriving up with songs and then people just adding like little bits and pieces and everybody tiptoeing around the track to be like oh, maybe just a wee tinkle and then you know eventually you just have this kind of thing where it's just everybody circling you but nobody's actually in the middle of it so with this I sort of wanted to wanted to open that up a wee bit and just see if it was worth doing and uh, I think it was you know for, for, for all intents and purposes it was exactly I think how it should have been done, and uh, it was really it was really quick as well, because once we got kind of got going, it was like right, well, these are the signs, these are the things. Here's what we're going for. There's no real complicated songs. Wasn't trying to like really lean in on it needs a catchy chorus and all this, but just literally had a little more written down and just went for it. Shaped it. But that 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 sound that you're getting. From yourself and two boys from Belfast, that's incredible. Yeah, I think because it was so casual and because there was no clock ticking per se, and we all kind of work in a similar pace, and that you put it down, it doesn't work, you move on. If it does work, then maybe see how you know if it's in the in the kind of ballpark, or if that is the one, you just do the one and move on. You know, it's not yeah. like do the one, maybe try to improve on the one, or you know, so. There was a lot of things that were just off the cuff and then a lot of things that were a bit more considered, but I, I, I kind of had a handful of these ideas that I really wanted to happen and 
it was just like tick box exercises going like is this there is this there one to this one to this and we just basically went through it how so long did the whole thing take <coughs> was this me yeah it's you class oh, I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it, it's hard to it's hard to say actually because because um, it was kind of spread out as well I'd say if it was concentrated time it had been done maybe a few weeks mm-hmm. if it was all what kind of done in one time I <coughs> The, the, the kind of guts of the work was done really quickly and then it was always broken up by something and then away and then back and all of this stuff and then, so when we came back it was just a matter of putting away pretty bits on puppies at the end. That's right. But I thought, in my head, I, I, I kind of thought, but Hooch survives, and then he comes in at the end, and it's Hooch that's still wrecking the house. But it's not. That's the he dies so suddenly as well. Like yeah, just yeah. Down. I just came back from, what the hell was it? Was it actually about Fossil Cousin? And I was thinking to myself, no, it's dog, dog will die here. Like, so <laughs> watch the last 20. He's hit by this wave of emotion, thinking, what the fuck? I wasn't prepped for this at all. Me crying the eyes out. Yet watching him, I mean, see dogs, but... I know, and he, he actually he actually dies really well. Like, <coughs> he does, it's a slow death. It's, and it's like, you know, Oscar, good for Oscar. Uh, he did, I actually <laughs> get beat by De Niro or something like that. <laughs> it's a funny one, John Bushy. Have you ever seen that movie? Um, is it a futile, and, uh, a futile and stupid gesture? Or a stupid and futile gesture, I think you call it. It's about the two boys that created uh, National Lampoons. Right. It's on Netflix. It's a really good good movie. Huh. I think Donald Gleason's in it, and your guy. Uh, I'm going to be terrible with names here. Should have kept my phone with me. Um, yeah, Donald Gleason and your guy, Will, Will Fort or Will Forte. He's in that that really slow black and white movie. Um, is it Alaska? Is it Alaska or Nebraska? Nebraska about the old fellow who. On the lawnmower or something? Is it? Is he in the? No, 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 no. It's it's the one where his. Old fella has, he's got the onset of uh, dementia and he gets one of those uh, things, letters through the post that say, you may have won up to a million pound cash prize, come and collect it at wherever. And he's nowhere near Nebraska, but he's willing to, to walk there. And then, so he tries to do this so many times where the son gets a phone call to say your your dad's been seen down, down the motorway, basically. Sure. So he just says, you know what, I'll, I'll take him and we'll just get it over and done with. I'll just show him. You know that there is no prize here, really. So they do this whole cross-country trip, but you you sort of the whole thing is more about on the way through they go to the dad's um, hometown where he grew up, and the son you realise that they've they've quite a fractured relationship and that the son didn't didn't know a lot about the dad. He was always quite a quiet man and 
probably I think it's, there's kind of a bit of that typical father-son fear in there, you know, where he just respected him, but just let him. You know, he didn't ask anything about his past that I didn't talk about. So they go through his hometown and they spend a couple of days there, and he starts to really dig into what exactly did the dad get up to whenever he was young, a younger man. And uh, and then while, the, while they're there, the dad tells a couple of people that he's a millionaire now and that he's just going to collect this cash prize. And of course, all the people in the town get like, some people get really excited and the local paper and all comes around. The son's kind of like trying to deflect it and trying to, to bury it and all of this. And uh, it's really good. It's, it's, a real, it's a real indie movie, but it's... Is it black and white? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like last five years. Nominated for an Oscar or something. I, like I think so because there's he's in it, and then the brother is uh, Better Call Saul. Is is the guy yeah, yeah. plays Saul? So he's he's really good, and the dad is uh, oh, what's his name? He's like a real old sci-fi actor. Yeah, he's he sort of uh, he would sort of look a bit like uh, what do you call him? Curb your enthusiasm sort of guy. Yes, but yeah, uh, what's his name? He was in a he was in a really good sci-fi movie I seen one time in Armagh what was it uh, not set in Armagh no <laughs> no <laughs> no that's current day sci-fi I think uh, what's his name ah oh, Jesus I, I can't remember but no I seen there, there's a there was a uh, friend of mine uh, Paul McParland he's a filmmaker um, and I'm, I was just going back years ago and he said to me about him and a handful of friends, they they go to this this guy's house, and your man busy has one of these wee small theaters attached to the side of his house, well on the other end of his driveway, hmm. and you can book it out, and then you bring your movie, and he it has like you know he'll put the title of the movie outside the, the movie house, and then you go in. It's about a twenty seater little theater, mm-hmm. and it has the the curtain, the velvet curtains, and he goes around with the chalk ices. No you know, the thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole crack and we watched Silent Running was, was what you called the movie uh, Silent Running that was Submarine or something no 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 it's a it's a sci-fi it's the one sat in Armagh <laughs> <laughs> it's the one where the guy is up in the space station and he's he's basically built this huge or he's looking after this huge big space station and all of the plants and all the wildlife so it's a huge big horticulture centre and he's got these little uh, robots and uh, and these boys with just like they're just these boxes with feet, and they they just dander along, and it's just him, and it's that t- typical sort of ice isolated mm-hmm. story of man in space, you yeah. know, and then the the all the paranoia and and I guess like uh, it's that that thing of being isolated, and and uh, I'm not sure whether it gets really dark. I think he at one stage he starts to convince himself that the little robots have kind of plotting <laughs> they're, they're starting to communicate between each other even though they're just there as his like little helpers and they, they don't communicate back with him he just says go get whatever and they go get it but then they start to like do their own thing and uh, it's really good but we watched that in that in that cinema of your man so the chalk ice isn't all that, uh, that film you were talking about now just reminded me of, of Moon which I must watch again but I loved yes, it yes it um, was class like. that, that is cool, really cool like the Sam Rockwell yeah. one yeah, that's that's class. There's only a few. I, I think you have to be a specific. Well, it obviously helps when the when the the script and screenplay is great. But I think you have to be a certain type of actor as well to to hold. Yeah, everything has to be completely spot on. I yeah. mean, it's like as, as 
like I, I sort of find now, especially with the kids and stuff, that that it takes an awful lot to sort of to to hold me. Like you know, it's almost like you're sort of watching these sort of um, you know TV's quite good at the minute in these TV series, and it's like even the likes of Westworld. It's mm-hmm. always really looking forward to, and you're sort of going like li- literally, boys. I haven't time for all this, you know, character right. building. The chase like, here, yeah. yeah. But yet something like that, or even the likes of uh, uh, that second ep- second series of Twin Peaks. Uh, not set in the second series, but the most recent series, the one. where it's like, like nothing will happen for an hour, but you're completely, you know, you can't look away, like, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So no, there's something very sort of special with people that can do that. I think so, yeah. But it's a whole, um, it's a whole package, I guess. I, I was funny. I was I was researching. I'm gonna forget a name again here as well, because there's a there's a guy who he wrote the screenplay for this movie in the, in the 90s called Kids. Uh, it's one of these kind of seminal. This is of a time defines an age and all of this, and uh, he was nineteen whenever he wrote the screenplay, and and then he directed a movie two years later called Gummo, which is kind of coming of age, but it's really really dark about this wee kid, and I was just watching different clips of it, and then he wrote a book. Which uh, was like a year after that, so he was only in his early twenties, and he was already being kind of hailed as uh, as the next the next big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. As a, and he, I've seen a couple of interviews with him on Letterman, and he's massively on the spectrum where he's he's starting conversations and sentences, and then he kicks into another totally different mode, right. and he's constantly looking all over the space. He doesn't just sit there and just talk to, and the legs are going, and everything's going at once. You just know that he's just, he's a million things going on in his head, but um, but he's he's got a new movie coming out now this year called Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey. I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm terrible for reading reviews and things, and it's it's got like, you know, lukewarm reviews, I think, because of his name. It's kind of, it's getting a, a bit of a bye ball because he's always been the super indie kid but it's it's interesting because I think when you have a reputation like what he probably built through the 90s and people are maybe w- more willing to sit through a movie that where nothing happens but if you know going in that I, I really like how he films this or I really like the characters or whatever then I think you're more inclined to give that a shot than you would say if you were just taking a, a gamble on something and nothing happens for an hour you don't know the director you don't know the actors and then suddenly you're like Something needs to happen here, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas when you know what you're expecting, especially with Twin Peaks, you kind of think this is going to be really weird. Well, you definitely don't know what the uh, you know you expect and that. The chances <laughs> that's are like, the, the storyline won't open up here for maybe another three or four episodes. We'll maybe get one like little Easter or twenty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get one clue as to what is the general kind of overall uh, story, but everything in between is just random. Yeah. Just thinking though, but I mean, see, whenever I uh, play, I mean. Whenever I play live, if I sort of record it or listen back, a lot of the times I'm, I'm straight away I'm going, I did that too fast mm-hmm. or whatever. I sort of get caught up in the in the live energy and stuff. But the way you're talking about the, the likes of those movies, where it's all about just pace and you know, just almost tastefully giving an audience something just to slightly build it up. I mean, I, I would I would say that's live at the Mac. You know, there's there's like a serious sort of composure going on there. Uh, I think it really depends. I mean, a lot of that, especially with the with the live with the live at the Mac uh, recordings, 
lot of that was based on just the instruments that were available. So there's no point driving an acoustic guitar into people's faces with without any per- percussive element. There was you know there was nothing there that was gonna rhythmically push apart from the guitar and I, I I can't have a really loud acoustic guitar in my face for some reason it's just it's one of the biggest turnoffs mm-hmm. if I ever go to see a live show I really don't think anybody needs to be uh, absolutely hammering those strings into your face because yes I, I know what an acoustic guitar sounds like and I always enjoy it when it's played with a, a fair bit of restraint so um, no I think with that I don't really know too many musicians. I'm sure you'd be the same where when you're working out a live set and you kind of think, right, this is a 30-minute set. It needs to dynamically move. Do I want to open and kind of let the whole thing open up and then pull it way down? Or do I want to start slowly and do all of that? Because, you know, I've seen it enough times where people like to build from nothing and then take it up. And other people just like to shift around. I remember, uh, I'm going to be terrible with names. Um... It was a guy I played played a show with a guy in, in Dublin and I remember watching his he was American, John something. <laughs> John something. <laughs> he was playing and he he did this uh the whole his whole show was was one fast, one slow. That was his whole thing, one fast, one slow, one fast, one slow. And he moved from guitar to, to piano. Not like Aye. not interchangeable <clears throat> as in song to song, but that was his thing where he would do he would always do one followed the other and then and, and then this kept going which was you know that he had enough songs that he was able to do that you know because then you, you obviously need a 50 50 balance of do i have you know eight or nine fast songs or eight or nine slow songs and then there's a certain part of it that after a while you kind of think I, I get it you know i get the formula now and in my head i start to drift a little bit so i, I always like to be kept guessing and if someone has I mean, if you're if you're lucky enough and you have, if you have you know the the musicians around you or at least all of the instruments that you can you can afford to either you know really push and then really pull it back. I think it's nice to do that. You know, do it at times when it's not expected, rather than just you know we're going to drive for three songs now and then we're going to pull it way way back into the erection section now so we've got like you know two or three slow songs in a row just to let you calm down and then we're going to go for it again i think it really depends you know it yeah. depends on on who the who the the band is I, I i never like the idea of uh you know a ballad is thrown in there just to kind of let people take a breather or go to the bar or go to the bogs it's kind of i think it kind of has to work all together so there's a purpose to everything it's like chapters where you know you, you kind of you know what the story that you're trying to tell from start to finish and then by the time you get to the end you hope that people will either be happy that they all went on that and you can just plug yourself out of the matrix for a second or or you know or at least at some point you've surprised people or made them feel like that's really interesting or or that's a nice way i mean Obviously, we're we're both big Bob Dylan fans, so he was always quite good at throwing in so many different versions of of songs. Mm-hmm. I, I I like that. I kind of I know people sort of enjoy listening to something the way that they heard it the first time or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I think you know if 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 you want that version strictly that version that you heard on the record, and if you want to go and see someone live and 
That's why I always find it strange when someone says, it sounds exactly like on the record when you mm-hmm. go see it live. And you think, well, why would you go and see it live then? Because you may as well just sit in your house. Yeah. But it must be the reason why the likes of like, um, especially like that East Belfast Festival and you, you run into like people who have been, you know, they've maybe gone to see Van Morrison like 170 times. Aye. And it must be because, you know, either they're they're sort of waiting for that sort of, you know, that record that is never played live or else maybe the fact that every time he plays it is completely different. You know, but I mean, if there were... Like, I remember I remember whenever I was about 14 going to see the Wolf Tones only because they were, you know, in Hilltown and it was, it was on, like, you know, <laughs> Legends. <laughs> but... Um, but I remember, and then they came back the following year, and they did the exact same set. And even before I had, you know, played out, or or even mm-hmm. I think I played the guitar at that stage. But I was, I was going. There's no way I could do that. There's no way I would ever want to do that. If I was up on that stage, because for me, like any enjoyment that I had the the year before, I wish it. I wish it actually, you know, said it was a different band than the Wolf Tones, like yeah. you know, other then straight away this story wouldn't people would be going why is he talking about the wolf Tones so much <laughs> but i mean but straight away i was sitting there going do you know what if i was in a band like that where every night was the exact same thing mm. I, it would just be no point in being in a band yeah um, i i can understand it to a certain degree if you're if you've got like really hot and heavy touring and you don't have room at you know at a certain stage for for any like there is no wiggle room for you know that that sort of uh, on your toes creativity mm-hmm. because anything can offset the balance that you're trying to create, especially if you're building a show. Whereas I think if you're just like a really tight band on stage, then and it's more of or as much about like a jam, like say a Grateful Dead kind of thing, where boys can just give each other the nod, and here comes the twenty minute solo, and, and that's fine. I think there are grounds for having a super tight set. Like a whole tour, if it if it were, you know, if it's all kind of choreographed into a singular show, like a lot of the, I imagine, pop music and, well, I guess most stuff, most modern music is now pop, but yeah, it's all kind of, you know, everything is syncing together with lights, with, with visuals, with all of this, with, you know, dancers and all of that stuff. Like imagine if you, if you just, you know winged it mm-hmm. you know, and said we're just going to do this in three four boys it's changing <laughs> tonight. Like the whole band as good as what everyone would be that there would be a certain amount of that would, would the, the the panic that would that would that would create would be insane well so. I, but i did i i did used to do that i used to once once everybody once everybody was very comfortable mm-hmm. with their their parts and everything i i generally would have maybe shifted up a key or maybe like left out sections and stuff like that, just you to just sort of do it at the time though. On just, just I mean, it's almost like okay, well now, now that we've done a few gigs and everybody knows what they're at. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to mess it up a bit because I, I just you can just hear the complacency, mm-hmm. you know. And it's even even in the even in the studio sometimes where it's like that thing about the first take, and you'll hear boys maybe, you know, maybe the the piano player, or the bass player is just sort of, you know, sort of delicately sort of. Uh, they're really listening because they don't really know the song and they're just sort of you know feeling their way around and then by take three they're you know they know when they're coming in they know they're going out and da, 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 da. and and the next thing it's it's like sorry lads I mean I, I much prefer when you were just tiptoeing and dancing right. starts to overplay know? then 
even yeah, I suppose a wee bit over. I mean, there's still you know they're always going to be class players, but uh, so it'll never be you know distasteful or anything like that. But it's just like we just love hearing that apprehension. It's like one of my favorite songs would be uh, "Hold On, Hold On" uh, by Tom Waits and Mule Variations. Mm-hmm. If you ever listen to the bass playing on it, like he's he, it's almost like he's never heard the song in his life. Chances he's just are. and very chances are surely and he's just anticipating it's almost like he's always behind Tom and there's a few clangers and uh, and he's always maybe like a lot of the time he'll just come in maybe like one beat behind or something like that yeah and uh, and I love it like yeah it's amazing that, that there's a really good story with the guy who plays Dobro on Pony on that album as well class and he talked about uh, because I think on, on that album he Tom Waits had taken this whole big barn and converted it mm-hmm. and he had different sections in obviously but it was all mic'd up and good to go and uh, I can't remember I was reading it in some magazine in, in an airport and um, this the, the guy the Dobro player he was saying that uh, they were talking about the track while they were walking through the studio and he was saying oh we kind of want you to do this this is the sort of feeling I'm going for and they ended up sitting across two chairs with a mic in the middle and he just kind of nodded at him and said gonna need you to do an intro here and then they just kicked in and which is where, where he came from the and the rest of the song he said he's always playing behind him because he had no clue where it's going but then after you know obviously after a verse once you get to that first chorus you kind of know okay so this is the thing but when you're a great player as well you can kind of live off the yeah, but yeah, something happens whenever you're, whenever you're, whenever you're in that, I don't know, in that circle or something. It's, it's like every every one of your senses is just tingling, mm-hmm. you know. And the two is, it's like you know you you're you're just gonna go on a wee journey here, and it's like you're sort of attached in some way. I mean, it's it's pure adrenaline, and you can't really, you know, no matter how good a player you are, you can't fake that. Can't repeat it yeah. hardly ever as well. But yeah, the, I think. That that's always the the interest or the challenge anyway is is not just to 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 sort of collect a handful of these great players, uh, but to then make them feel uncomfortable enough that mm-hmm. that they have to kind of stay on their toes and be completely present rather than you know if one guy's great rinky dinking away on the on the piano and you just tell him like just let's go Rolling Stones on this and he's just right hand just going forever then. Everybody will just go through the motions, you know. Whereas yeah. if you if you kind of throw out a few interesting things, then or remove or do that Neil Young thing where you just start swapping musicians, where a bass player plays piano and all this, and you just move them around so that you put them into this place, little pockets where they'll only do so much. They'll never overplay, and a lot of the stuff's going to be accidental. So, but what they might find could be a million times better than yeah. somebody who maybe knows something inside out and just says, oh, I, I'll do this run. Not, not even with players as well, because you've got the likes of, um, it was an interview with your guy Toby, I can't think of his surname, that produced Love and Theft, that we were talking about earlier on, Bob Dylan, and um, and he spent maybe, he's like, okay, Dylan's coming in. Like, I mean, he was a very sort of well-known producer, but for different stuff like, um, like hip-hop and stuff like that there, but he... Um, but Dylan was coming in, so he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna take a lot of time and set up the studio right." And he sort of had been told that he wanted this sort of live setup, so he had Bob in the middle of the room with the guitar and and the band around him, and then trying to figure out that sort of thing and getting everybody in eye line and everything to Bob. 
and uh, and Bob walks into the room and uh, sees a wee piano in the corner. He's going and just sits down at that and starts playing it, and and that's that's where he that's is for the whole record, going. like you know. And the boys straight away is like going to need two days, you know, setting up time, and then five minutes to actually set it up properly, yeah. and uh, and that's you know that's that's technique from from Bob as well, just to sort of go like it's it's gonna be you have to be on your toes here. Like. Yeah, no, it's it's super cool. I I think. There are great things about uh, musicians who, even live shows as well, when you go see someone who can play solo and can hold your attention the whole time. I remember I seen Ines Mitchell in um, in the Black Boxes going back a few years as well. And just one person on a guitar and a capo shifting up and down. And for, I think she must have played an hour and a half anyway. But a lot of that's probably her personality as well. But she was so casual and off the cuff. But then the delivery was amazing, and I, I'm I'm always a big fan of someone who like just starts ripping songs apart, and even in the middle, just kind of drops all the tempo and starts shifting around and all of this. And you just kind of know they know what they're doing, so you just along the journey with them. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I was actually just trying to get tickets for Rufus Wainwright because he's coming to Belfast soon, but. Uh, I remember I was joking with uh, with Dan, my guy that he's a composer guy that work a lot a lot with him, and he had sent me a message last weekend saying Rufus Wainwright's got tickets out, get one, or you're gonna do that same thing that you always do, which is leave it too late and then end up uh, you know crying over the fact that you couldn't get a ticket. And sure <laughs> enough, I left it too late. Is it sold out? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, it's just him and a piano as well, which would have been amazing. Yeah, but I did see him once with. Uh, with but it was just an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. Um it was a festival and you've got like lots of sort of bleed of sound and different sort of stages and stuff like that. But um but no it it, it wouldn't be the same without the piano. Like. No. I mean he's he's like probably classically trained piano player. Yeah. Um yeah he's an amazing piano player so yeah. it would be weird uh I just Maybe it's better that, I'm, that I don't get to see it, that I just complain about it for years, because even if someone says it was amazing, in my head it's going to be hard to compete with. Because you know? his first album, that one, uh, I, I loved it. And I, and, and I suppose uh, maybe just having him right up close and personal in that album, I never really sort of got the rest of the stuff. Right. You know, that was the one with the, like just him and the piano and the uh, cigarettes and chocolate milk. And... and uh, like to me, that was all you needed, mm-hmm. and then once once all the orchestra and everything came in for this for the other albums, I was it sort of just I never really got the same yeah. kick out of that. He, he doesn't in bits and pieces. I, I I really love the the two albums, Want and Want One and Want Two, and he every so often he'll he'll have a song where he has nothing in it apart from him, like Dinner at Eight and. Uh, the art teacher and stuff like that where it's just him mm-hmm. but he, he he released an album maybe in the last 10 years called All Days or Nights which is just him and a piano oh, and right. it sounded like a live tech I'll have to check out it Do you, it's it's really worthwhile um, but it's so weird it's so is is the where he takes songs I think it, he must have had this idea in his head I haven't read any about it but it's almost like he's trying to go anti- expectation all the time it's very very strange very um particular chord changes and he just leaps around the piano you know that he's exceptionally good and he's trying to let you know how good he is as well at times but i it's 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 a funny album because it's one of those ones where 
you'll never come away singing any of it <laughs> because there's nothing catchy enough to kind of latch on. It's kind of like mine. But, <laughs> but not, yeah. not in the good way. <laughs> yeah, but his, it's, it's sort of very complicated music for one man and, and one instrument. It's quite like it keeps you on your toes, but yeah, it's nice to hear him doing that because, you know, he could have obviously just kept doing the the thing with the the sort of, you know, he's very good at doing like the pop songs as well and, and the big catchy choruses and all of that stuff, but he obviously made a conscious decision to be like, I'm just going to do it this way. He's, I think he has, there's three songs on the album that are Shakespeare sonnets that he's turned into song, you know what I mean? So he's clearly not trying to make a number one hit, like. Yeah. It's a good thing. No, it is very good. And it's it's a sign of, um, it's a sign of somebody that's just sort of, doesn't really care, like, you know, exactly. that, that nice self-esteem. But uh, no, he never, he never was lacking confidence. Like, no, Rufus. no, but you're there. Like that's a musical family, isn't it? Really, because his dad's Lydon Wainwright is yeah. big songwriter, and then I love Martha as well. Martha Wainwright, yeah, it's yeah. Class. I think that they they do some family albums too. Like they have, they release family records. I remember watching a concert with all of them. There was tons of them on stage, yeah, yeah. all the Wainwrights, like, and they're they all play yeah. everything. Um, I'm just thinking though, just going to my head because <clears throat> you mentioned Paul McParland earlier on. Um, I remember, like, what was it, maybe it was eight, seven or eight years ago that you did the video from the, is it Dunluce or what do you call the the the, it's the, oh, the castle the I or the not not mausoleum what do you call it no the, oh. well it was it was in that same area because it's it's a little bit before the. Um, same exact same place, but that uh, the Mussenden or whatever. Mussenden, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was just it was in front of that, so it's um, I think is it, is it bishops something you call it, but yeah, it's it's the little kind of castle ruins that yeah. you would see at the top of the hill, and then you would go on down the path, and it takes you to the temple. Then at the bottom, yeah. Um, I I think that was two thousand and fourteen, maybe. Oh right, not as long ago as I would have thought. No, because I would have thought because I mean like. Because um, I always would have seen you, you know, in the in the Captain Kennedy days and stuff, and and I knew you were doing your own thing, but it was that video that sort of made me go, oh, this this boy's he's he's uh, he has arrived, mm. like you know, I mean it was, and then I remember talking to Paul about it, and he was just, I think because you'd done a couple other videos with Paul. Yeah. Paul says, "Yeah, no, he just like Kieran. Kieran knew what he wanted. Like, I mean, was and it is. Whenever you're watching the likes of that video, you are sort of going, shit. This this boy knows. This boy knows what he's at. Like, it's almost like and and to go from from then to now. That's why I thought it was it was longer because it it almost seemed like you know you had that that focus. Does that just happen one day? Like that you were just like, ah, this is what I this is what I have to do. Uh." I don't know. Uh, like, I, I can't remember consciously sitting down. I mean, for, for a video like that to be just, this is a live video, I, I almost think that I chatted to Paul about it and I, I think we actually went up that direction to try to get another video done somewhere and realised that it wasn't going to work. And, and so then that was kind of our, well, let's just do this while we're here. We're up in that area. And... At that time, we had been working together a wee tiny bit, and I was very much of the thinking that I wanted to just do performance videos and something that, where you know, I didn't have the budget to try to make a proper music video, and so 
I didn't want to attempt to make a mm-hmm. video on a, a shoestring yeah. budget because as much as I adore indie movies, I just didn't think it was capable of... of uh, I always think there's a bit more investment in those things than, than what they'll add on. Mm-hmm. Definitely more than the 100 quid that I had probably at the time. So, <laughs> or whatever the hell, I can't remember. I probably paid Paul in chalk ices and <laughs> handshakes at that stage. But uh, yeah, it was... I just think that I, I had back then I was trying to make sure that any visual aspects of what I was doing were at least representative of what was going on and so it was easier to do a performance video and a lot of the stuff I was doing then was just live solo and I was interested in just having the live solo sound and the first album was very much even though you know there was there was a band around it but it's like we talked about earlier where the, the band were kind of like tiptoeing around. Nobody was trying to do anything uh, that was going to attempt to steal any limelight or, or anything like that. It was just very much like all of the musicians lurked around in the shadows and uh, the forefront was always just the voice. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was an easier, it was easy kind of transition uh, with the live shows to, to be able to just do those solo because the songs were all represented in that way more or less to an extent and uh, I just I didn't I've never ever been interested in those music videos that are like small movies where you know there's three characters or there's two characters and inside three minutes you're supposed to understand the dynamics of their relationship and then the breakup part and then they get back together and they <laughs> end around the tree you know what I mean it just doesn't it never made any sense to me and I've always thought that unless you've got really good uh like someone who's who's driving a project like that. I thought you were going to say chinos. No. Like really good chinos no, well, chi- or something I, like that. I'm trying to think 2014. Probably like <laughs> really good boot cut jeans. Oh yeah. Know? Good stone, stone wash. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Jeez, I don't know. Actually, 2014. Maybe flowers. Were flowers still in? It's a funny one. <laughs> I don't know. With, with, with style. I, I know... Or maybe uh, like the skinny jeans were starting to come in then. I do, know, I do know that all of a sudden one day it was very hard to find a good flare. Yeah. Although they're starting to come back. I seen, oh. I was, um, where was I? I was in Dublin the other day and I noticed a lot of flowers kind of kicking around now. Not on males though, that is that is one thing. Only only the the boys in, in like the corduroy, the stoner looking boys who probably have always been wearing flowers yeah. were wearing flowers, you know, and the Adidas Sambas, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I noticed a handful of flowers kicking around, but all kind of female, which uh, I, I generally think that uh, females are much more ahead of the, the, the fashion game than what males would be, and they tend to follow so. I'd probably agree with that, all right. But then, you know, depends if you're if you've got your your nose into your fashion really and, and uh, I don't really but we do of course of course yeah <laughs> so you know it, music has to take a back seat sometimes but um, I but um, flowers flowers <laughs> I used to, what I used to hate about flowers because I, I I've got quite short legs so whenever whenever I it was like all those kind of jeans anything that sort of trailed on the ground Eventually, if there was any moisture on the ground at all, yes, the jeans just would have yep. took it like a sponge, and then the, it just would have gathered up your leg, the yep. hair. So you'd have been at standing the back, there. at the back of the, the jeans. Just should have come up. Like, oh, coming up! I, they would have been Fred. Yeah, it's almost stage. like it's almost like my leg 
is like you know it, like 29 and a half or 30 and a half or something like that every jean seems to be just that half inch too long yeah uh, need to get them taken up that's that's maybe your your thing yeah but then maybe like one day, one day you're wearing boots and it's grand and then the next day you're wearing flats flats or something like that are sambas <laughs> yeah this could be it no, I should have started this podcast a long time ago I know exactly yeah, maybe 2014 this conversation would have been more relevant I've been talking about the dangers of flares but I know you used to notice all the time and then, then the, the thing that I hated at the end of any day wearing a pair of flares on a wet day was trying to get your leg out of them without getting uh, that weird you know that where some sort of wet material just touches your skin and you're you're trying to like sneak your foot out of them so you have to dip your toe and then kind of pull it out very gently I hated that <laughs> it stayed with me I don't know why when is the new album out? It'll probably start to appear sometime in autumn, winter, I guess. There's, I think plans are still being put in place, so it's very much, I guess, we're, we're at that... Um, we're at that stage where you know there's there's nothing solidified in the way of this is when things are gonna you know come out. But I just know generally by the end of this year, hopefully it'll either have all been out or there'll be elements of it out. So you know what it's like with releasing music now. It, it you can do it whatever way you want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it must be nice having like a bit of a team around you that that it's 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 not like you have to you know you're coming off the back of a very creative period. You know, where where you don't have to like just jump into, you know, market head. Yeah. You know, you can actually sort of maybe even just hand it over to them. Go right, you just tickle away in the background at that, and uh, and I'll just I'm keep on a nice little creative role here. Yeah, it is. It is always the the major benefit of especially having having a team around, or at least people who are there and specialize in certain areas. Where, you know, even I, I guess as much as you would love to be the jack of all trades with everything you're never going to really be amazing at every single thing and i know you know if i had a choice i would rather be the best at actually creating the thing and and then working with people who are very good at either marketing the thing or promoting the thing or planning and all of that whereas you know i know i can do that but i wouldn't be doing it to any high spec to the point where I, I you know I, one day I'm, I'm sitting in a you know in a studio and the next day I've got a tie on and I'm I'm in somebody's office pointing and talking about you know facts and figures and stuff it is it's hard it's it's difficult to switch hats all the time so to have people around is a nice little um, it's a nice benefit for sure but it's like everything else you sort of as much of it as you can plan uh, right down to the nth kind of degree but I think if you're not flexible and you know as much of it is about timing and luck and and it just kind of translating and cutting through and you know there's there's a gamble with everything so um, but yeah you just having, having people there is always the first kind of step to it being at least protected a bit more 
but we'll see you know it's it's like once you get something recorded i'm sure you know what it's like you, you're damned to kind of get it out because you almost need to get it off of your desk so that you can move on to the next thing and if you have to constantly listen to it and continuously before you release it then by the time it comes out and you have to start talking about it you're you're done with it you know mm-hmm. so it's, it's been able for that thing to stay fresh enough that you know when it's done you don't need to look at it anymore you can plan about it and talk about it but it's not that you have to go and listen to the tracks every single day so that that's where i kind of find the difficulty in, in trying to be able to still feel as if the thing that you're pushing is is as young as what as what listeners are going to think you know yeah, I suppose maybe because um, now now could be a cool time for that because it's like the times before where it would have been like okay, well you know Prince would have got fed up with his label the fact that he wanted to put out maybe two or three different you know albums mm-hmm. a year with the output that he was creating. They were going, no, people can't take in all of that mm-hmm. um, output. Like, but whereas now you've got the likes of you know almost like the binge watching on TV, everything's just so accessible with digital streaming and, and whatever that that you literally, for a more creative person and somebody with a better output, it works in their favour to be able to actually constantly be at it because people are, are sort of, they're crying out, they're like going, okay, you've given us this full series of uh, of TV that we've watched in a day, where's the next one? Yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. It's it's like that Black Mirror thing when the, you know, the, the last, I remember seeing the last season coming out and straight away people were already asking, when's the next one going to come? But then, you know, there there's always a, a, a sort of risk to that and I, I guess an, an, a downside to that is that you know when you're if you're constantly trying to create for the sake of of making sure that you're meeting people's expectations or the demand then the quality I think after a period of time is always going to be questioned because you haven't had enough time to actually yeah to live and then so yeah. if you're just if you're writing constantly and consistently then unless you're someone who can write day-to-day kind of things and it, it moves and shifts with that, like, I think that's a massive skill. But um, trying to separate yourself for long enough that you can digest some things or let some things affect you and then that become your next kind of uh, subject matter or whatever, I think that's almost necessary. Unless, you you know, you turn out a couple of, like, cover things just to mm-hmm. keep you tied over. Nowadays, people don't... I don't think people consume music the way they used to and that you know we're, we're almost back in that time where singles are great you know you, you could pump out singles all day long and if you wanted to box them together in an album by the end of it then great but i don't know if anybody would kind of be asking for an album unless they're maybe of a generation where they like things packaged together i like to hear an album and i don't know if if with the whole kind of streaming services at the minute and and all of that and how people listen to music you know they only have time for certain things and you look at these playlists and stuff you know most of the stuff that happens is just accidental you maybe put on one song and then the rest of it runs and you're maybe doing something you're making dinner or you're working as a barista who who knows but uh but yeah i think how we listen to music now is totally different i don't know if people if people have the time now these days to sit down and actually enjoy an album, unless you're the type of person who enjoys that anyway or has that experience. But, and in that sense, then it means that you can, you can be consistent and you can be, I guess that you can, you can keep on producing music, but it doesn't have to be an album every six months. You can throw out single songs once a month and 
suddenly you can seem as productive as someone who has maybe you know been writing three albums in a year mm-hmm. and something's going to give do you know what I mean I think maybe after Brexit now that album sales will go shoot to the roof where people will just like you know everything will just go back to normal you think so everybody will just turn off the, the, the talking really or the you know the, yeah. and uh, and go you know there'll be like nice sort of incidental music going da 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 and everybody will just sort of start mowing their lawns again and that's quite weird. That's a bit sort of War of the Worlds kind of thing. Is it, um, it's going to happen, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 was, uh, I was reading um, that book, The Illustrated Man, by, I think, Ray Bradbury. And it was written in, like, the 50s. And have you ever read that book? No. Where he's... It's, it's about a it's, a... it's a collection of short stories, but basically he, he, he packages it really well because he, he talks about this guy who meets, uh, meets another fella in a park and the guy is covered in tattoos but the tattoos move and your guy tells him that if you stay here long enough the tattoos will tell you a story so he just lies there and watches the guy's tattoos moving and then each story is one of the or um, you know a section of his tattoos telling him this overall story and that's how he opens up into this collection and um I was reading some of it and it's it's so far ahead even then it would have been it probably would have been unfathomable people to consider these things but now it's still it's still kind of further ahead than where we're at now but it's that eerie sense of no one really knows what the future holds but this kind of almost picture-perfect suburbia idea of you know everyone with the fake plastic trees and the and the white teeth and the you know, don't don't tell people about your own troubles and just like you know, uh-huh. bury it, bury it, bury it. And it's all about you know the the perfect housing development where everything looks the same and it's you know and everybody has to drive the same car and it's the two point four kids and all that stuff. It's a creep fest, you know. Um, and I don't know whether, I don't know whether we're looking at at this weird kind of future where nobody. Well, I don't think anybody knows what the hell's going to happen. I can only hope that people will eventually, maybe this will start to, you know, change people's opinion and they will just go back to listening to music. I think people will listen to music either way, but it's just how they're consuming it, you know? Yeah. Um, and and what is what is popular and what is, you know, because a lot of these things are being pushed into people's faces through playlists. And so you can be, you can be a great artist, but you can fly completely under the radar. Uh, and unless you're sort of... Uh, you become a cult kind of thing and you could just be a great artist who's just a great starving artist who nobody really has heard mm-hmm. and these playlists and things like that can just kind of yeah you can just be kind of blocked out from that world whether you like it or not you know the likes of the the way you're talking about uh, I mean a lot of those guys who sort of wrote those those books and you sort of go oh god they were so far ahead of their time I mean a lot of the time I sort of think that it is more to do with the fact that like history repeats itself so much mm-hmm. and human character sort of uh, shows its flaws on in a sort of a pattern and a lot of the time these guys are just basically sort of taking themselves out of the uh, off the hamster wheel and and just sort of looking at it for a while and and noticing the patterns and it's probably what songwriters would do as well artists in general they sort of a lot of the times they'll sort of they'll, they'll be the ones who just sort of just take the step back and, and try to look at the bigger picture mm-hmm. and and um, 
and what's what's actually going you know what's making everything tick yeah it's 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 definitely a it's a it's a really funny position to be in i think to be someone who's given a bit of a soapbox you know and you're you're able to and you've got the freedom as well to write about whatever the hell you want to write about and you know it's it's a bonus if you have an audience that are willing to to listen or to i guess to to believe everything that you're saying so if you speak for a certain amount of people but like you and i both know most of the songs are written in isolation and it's it's strange that something can be written that can define a generation or can define a certain time but if it's written from just one person from their own this is how i see things and whether or not you're kind of you're you're trying to wrap something into oh i'm, I'm a character and this i'm basing it on this and basing it on this thing that i seen it's still your interpretation and so that's the amazing thing i think about these well not only being in this position but but to write something that that suddenly transcends languages and and it it works for everybody or of a generation or where people can listen to it and, and say that's that's my song it's like you hear people saying all the time you know that's our song or that song speaks to me or or um you know that that's what i find kind of weird about music you know and still and strange about those those books i remember when i was in my early 20s i used to read all those dystopian novels and brave new world and mm-hmm. 1984 and fahrenheit and all that stuff and i just thought I thought they were amazing but the closer that we kind of get to where the current day is now and especially with social media and all that stuff I'm kind of like I wonder if those boys were around now would they have been able to write what you know would they be able to write these books now looking 50 years ahead or are we are we in a even more unclear place because I was talking to my cousin saying last night because we were driving back from the city and he was saying you know with all of social media at the minute, the way that things are and how everything is documented 24 hours, so all of the Insta stories and all this stuff, and you can do, I think you can do Facebook stories, and you can tweet all day long, whatever. Like, is that eventually going to hit a wall? Is there going to be another, you know, a further development of that? Are we going to be completely consumed in this world where everything is just, you know, Truman Show kind of thing? Because at the minute it is, but we all sort of feel like we're in control of the Truman Show and that you show people what you want them to see. But mm-hmm. is it going to go further to the point where where everybody sees everything? Or is it going to hit a wall and eventually we will just relapse and fall back into privacy? <laughs> That's a weird one. Because yeah. we're in this kind of world where technology has advanced so far that people kind of feel like, why shouldn't I be able to do this? And so with that comes complete transparency and, well, power as well, I guess, because people can, you can mould anything into, into any shape if you have the money and, and whatever to do it. But, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's kind of like a, it's a very strange time as well because as much as you're completely connected to people all of the time, it's, it's a lonely fucking place too, you know, because... Like how much of that is actually someone are they actually showing themselves? And then if they are showing themselves to everybody, then what have you got left for for intimacy, for you know, mm-hmm. for the people you actually care about? 
another friend of mine was saying that he, he had watched this video and some guy talking and saying that the only way that you can break that cycle of social media is through intimacy. Intimacy is the only thing that can basically go above and beyond what social media is doing in, in terms of connectivity because it's, it reaches into an area that social media can't, which is that kind of very intimate connection between two people. And so, you know, that's kind of what the opposite of what social media is trying to do because it wants yeah. this kind of much more of a global or I guess widespread connection where I I don't know you know there's I'm going on a bit of a rant now but I kind of feel like a lot of people these days have a l- like tons of these casual friendships everywhere all over the world like oh he's my friend she's my friend they're my friend we're all friends I I, I just sometimes I really love the fact that uh, especially being from Ireland that a lot of people just have, they'll say like, he, he's my friend or she's my friend. How do you know them? We we were in school together since we were four. Yeah. And there is none of this kind of, oh, I, we talked online for a bit. Have you ever met? No, I've never met. But like we we share the same interests and, you know, it's, I, some of that I feel is like this kind of romantic concept that people have in their heads of wanting to connect and, and probably the fear of being alone, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is strange because uh, sometimes it is easier to connect to people. Uh, like, I mean, you see, you see the like the other day was Mother's Day mm-hmm. and the amount of people who put the, the put up the photos and the, the messages and all to, yeah. to Mother's Day and their mum's probably not even fucking on Instagram or whatever and they're oh, more than likely not yeah. and also I mean but it's it's it's, a, it's so much easier for people to, to to show their emotion or show their a side of themselves through mm-hmm. that sort of platform rather than actually just going to their mother and saying you know that sort of nice intimate thank you very much giving her yeah. a hug and I mean you know which is which is the same sort of uh, disconnection that makes that uh, easier to do it uh, for in a nice way for the likes of trolls or whatever it is to sort of go the opposite way and say you know there's no way if I meet you in the street that I'm going to call you this yeah. but I'm going to call you it here yeah. because there's a slight disconnect like you know or if I, I just have, have so much more courage you know it's almost like because I know that whenever I do it, whether it's me doing a nice thing or a nasty thing, I'm gonna have a hundred people saying "well done." Yeah, you know. I mean, it's but it, so I mean, but at least we have got like a reference point. Like we're we're old enough to remember uh, before the internet or before social media. Uh, well, I am anyway. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but at least we've got a reference point and almost like a, you know, a, a neutral indicator or like a going, ah, yeah, but, you know, whenever everything switches off, this mm. is what's real and this is what, what isn't. But, you know, in 10 years' time, um, there are going to be, you know, 20-year-olds who don't have that, mm. don't have that that sort of reference of what is real and what isn't. That's scary. Like. It is. Also, at the same time, I think the importance of of any of those art forms, whether it's music or film or uh, art in itself or 
or literature or all of those kind of types of, of art, I think they're even more important now because they're the thing that reaches people and on an individual level where you can still enjoy something in your room on your own and feel connected to a song and so that is i think or you know stand in a in a gallery and and just be drawn to this one one image even if you take a photo of it and suddenly you start putting it up you have that moment where you're drawn to something and it speaks to you on a level that goes way beyond whatever you do with that from that point forward, whether that is to tag the person, the artist, or tag the museum that you're in, or or take a picture of you with a book with your hair looking great and, and start sending it to a million of, of your friends or whatever. Um, there is always a moment where that, that little piece of art form will have this intimate connection with you. And so I think even with... Uh, as kind of frightening and as sometimes very depressing as as this kind of current period can be that that I think will always be true and so I think people need that more than ever especially Mm with with um, with art and especially with music in particular because I don't think people will ever not want to listen to music or will ever not want to consume it in a certain way that I think they need it mm-hmm. because it becomes more and more difficult for people to actually say the thing that they feel. And so yeah. if other people can do it on their behalf and they just connect to it, which is why people put up videos of them, you know, and they take maybe lyrics of songs and tattoo it onto their bodies or, or they or they'll put up a video of them and they're quoting some some musician. But that is what like that is how or this certain thing or this lyric or this line or or this page from a book or whatever completely summarizes their current feelings about things that's that's massively Mm -hmm. important i think it's really cool especially because i think young people are not exempt to that that they're they want to they want to connect with that and and they do and so i think that's almost the saving grace Mm -hmm. especially these days but yeah, I mean, if you get into like personal usage of stuff, it's just <laughs> grim, grim. Though, I mean, hopefully there won't be a, like, I mean, there could be a serious lacking in 10 or 20 years time of like, uh, of really good, you know, guitar players or something like that. Because I mean, you imagine the amount of, the amount of um, people that became, you know, rock giants because they were extremely socially awkward teenagers that just mm-hmm. locked themselves in the room, learning the guitar. Whereas now, you can just straight away on social media find your click, you know, vent your frustrations there, and then where is the the not anxiety but the the getting every every emotion out on those six strings, you know, for for six years that actually you come out of it, come out of your socially awkward phase and going, oh, and actually I'm a very good guitar player at the yeah. same time. Oh, possibly, <laughs> possibly. I mean, it, it, I I I kind of hope that 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 will still always remain. That even those those sort of uh yeah the the socially awkward teens will still have that outlet you know no matter what and they'll they'll still do that thing because i think you just kind of have to believe that that's going to happen i mean it's if it is a matter of history repeating itself then surely that will always exist people will always be there will always be great you know musicians whether it's piano players from way back when and and you know it it may change instrument ways where you know the great guitar players would have been like 60s 70s and uh 
and now whether it's you know we're just in a in a in a stage of you know great hip hop artists great producers um and that may develop into something else but yeah i i kind of like to believe well you know mm-hmm. that that will always exist that people will always vent through some sort of art form and you know if you're very good at it i, I yeah i just i would hate to think that that we'll just be a, a a society of like mediocre yeah real life people but great on great on socials you know yeah it could be though i mean it could be that we're not given uh young people enough credit that maybe they will see through the forest you know of social media very quickly it's a difficult time i, I would yeah. hate to be young right now because I would hate it. everything is just it's so public and there's a there's there's a spotlight on everything you do and you constantly compare and contrast and all of that and that wasn't present back whenever i was growing up don't know about your day but uh, <laughs> definitely definitely in my day disco and stuff um yeah it was a. Uh, it wasn't as it wasn't as prevalent it certainly wasn't as concentrated but yeah. there was always a there was always a different form of it yeah. but it was very much it was in person then back then growing up like as a child then but well uh, something might have been done you know like you might have uh, kissed a girl at the disco and you know it was talked about on Monday and then forgotten about on Tuesday it's, it's whereas now rumours as well <laughs> <laughs> No, that's true. That is and true. And then now, but now it'll be like maybe the photo will be taken. It'll be up on Facebook, and that's it. Doing the rounds, then it'll come up I in know. your your memories every. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I still I still believe that there's because because of the because of that mass consumption and because everything is moving so fast that it, it it may even be the fact that if something a video has gone up of of say a teenage boy having his first kiss or whatever and it goes up on socials. That for him might be big for a day or two, you know, maybe maybe a week or two. But for everyone else, it's like it's clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. That'll maybe you know be in your head for fifteen minutes, and if if you know him, then it might be in your head for the day after in school. But after that, everything is moving even faster now. That there'll be something else. Mm-hmm. And I think you know there's there's a certain benefit to that. But yeah, that there's it's definitely this a totally different time whereas I think we used to have like you know it was always the the fashion magazines where they would say you know don't don't judge yourself on on these kind of people because this is not real life and if you do that it's unhealthy and all of this this is not what it is to be beautiful etc and now it's you know it's those social media celebrities and mm-hmm. you know it was the kardashians god knows what it is now because i even think they're veterans of that game now where they're not you know they're though, def- though your ego one of those ones is like one of the first billionaires is first she? Uh, female self-made billionaires you know, so I mean, like, there's a lot of money to be made yeah. in what they're doing. No, for sure. But yeah, it's that thing it's where... It's that, that gravy train will go on for a while yet. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely a thing for, for kids growing up. But then it's it's the whole YouTube generation too, because I, I never would have considered that you could, you could make a living out of just putting up daily videos on YouTube or, you know, or becoming like a YouTube celebrity and... A mixing tour in the world and just just putting up stupid videos of you doing pranks with your brother or something you know down the street and suddenly that becomes a thing and you can make huge amounts of money from yeah. doing that but never ever thought that happened no i know i was talking to a taxi driver one time in london and he was saying about how he was he was talking about what he wanted his son to do when he was older and he was he said he really wanted him to be a footballer and the wee guy was maybe only maybe seven or eight the son like and he, he asked him then one day because he thought Maybe he won't know what he wants to be, but I'll ask him. 
and he said that his son told him that he wanted to be a YouTube <laughs> sensation. <laughs> so he said he he has now started watching all of these YouTube stars because his father has uh-huh, right. because he wants to understand it and if that is something that his son wants to do when he comes to a certain age he wants to be able to support him and not select what the child is going to do and then you know it's kind of that thing you're going to go down the mine exactly <laughs> i was reading about this lately there's a, there's a really nice book um from uh andrew webb who's half of that Mitchell and Webb yep. who's peep show and he has a book called How Not to Be a Boy and he talks a lot about it's kind of autobiography but also he every so often he'll jump out of his story and jump into this kind of bigger question of um, like who is it that, that tells kids how to how to be you know like why, why do girls wear pink why, why are boys always uh, you know have dirty knees and and be really ragged and Whereas girls can are, are expected to be uh, more in touch with their feelings and and then in order for you to to express your feelings, it, that's seen as more of a feminine thing and for you to express your feelings as a boy is mm-hmm. isn't really male and so to to bury it and and to hold the information is is a, a sort of way of what he called manning up and he talks about this phrase of man up and he's pretty much putting it down to parents and adults who create this path for kids because kids will have no idea when they're growing up. I mean, I'm saying this as, as a non-parent, so, I mean, you can jump on high stage, but no. <laughs> kids have no idea growing up. I'm going to let you, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let me keep going here. your own rope here. Yeah, I'm just at the end to say that's bullshit. But yeah, kids, kids grow up and they, they don't know what a girl and boy is. They don't know how a girl and boy are they like should dress are they supposed to dress a certain way are they you know supposed to act in certain ways why can't they just grow up as just children and then find their own way and their own interests and yeah he basically put it down to parents and adults and i mean that goes right across the board not just the people who are directly involved with each other but what they see on tv and all of this uh that their their lives are kind of distilled a little bit and you're filtered down this path and especially with what he thought was you know a danger for young boys is not being able to express how you feel about things because as you grow up then as a younger man you'll you'll always have that issue and that will develop until Uh you're acting out in certain ways and whether that is you know you're you become like someone who fights or you drink or you sleep around or do whatever and then maybe you know you get to up to an age beyond that that you start to understand it and you feel I need to talk about this. Sometimes you don't, but mm-hmm. he basically has the whole purpose of the book is is to kind of say you know if from an early age there is more of a I guess uh, um, not just an understanding but an encouragement of boys to just talk and that not to be seen as a feminine trait but to be seen as something that. A, a personable trait that that is great for your child to be able to express themselves in any way that they see fit and that you're supportive of that and letting them know that even though the world is trying to shape them into a certain thing that they can be whatever they want uh-huh. and uh but that in itself he said is, is also the difficulty because there's so much of it that's that's coming down from different areas and <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> I thought it was a great book. No, I'm gonna have to give it a go because it is mad. Like you know, it's, it's 
Oh God! Like I'm my third kid, and uh, I was sort of going, I think I'm getting the hang of this. But no, it's it's mental. Like you know, you sort of just, oh, uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to start reading a few more books like that. You should. I'll give you that book actually for you. Oh, you're very kind, Karen. Um, I'm very. I'm, I'm only like new in this here, so I don't really know how to wrap things up. So I'm just gonna say, thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. So there you have it, folks. Another episode of See You at Yours. Thanks for sticking through. Many thanks to Kieran Lavery, the fantastic artist that he is. Go and check him out at kieranlaverymusic.com. And he's playing lots of shows. Go and check them out. As for my own stuff, go and check out uh, Lessons of War, the new album. Go and pre-order it. Or depending on when you're listening to it, maybe this is out already. Go and order it. And I'll be doing a few shows myself. I'll be hitting Dublin, Wheelands on the April 7th. Um, it's online now you can go and get tickets for it I'll also be in Dublin um, I can't remember when but go onto the website and there'll be more details there mattmcginmusic.com thanks folks see you at the next episode make sure and subscribe like you know all those things that uh, will get this podcast a little bit more out there um, into uh, people's hands and uh, thank you again see you soon bye bye